All right, all you geeks out there, you're going to be listening to, you know, the Geek Master, Traction Sci-Fi. Here he is, my geeky husband. Hello, everyone. This is Rico again, and this is Traction Sci-Fi, show number 73 for September the 10th, 2006. Going to have a nice, fun look at 40 years of Star Trek on this week's show, so stand by. Here we go. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Scotty, beat me up. Fascinating. Stand by to receive our transmission. Again, welcome to the show, everyone. This is your host, Rico, and here's another edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. This past Friday, September the 8th, 2006, marked the 40th anniversary of really what this uh, podcast is mainly all about, and that's the 40th anniversary of Star Trek. Way back in uh, September of 1966 was when the show first premiered, and it, uh, you know, it never really did that great in the ratings when it was first on. And but of course, over the years, formed this big following uh, of fans like myself that uh, tuned into each new series that came along, went to see all the movies, and so on. So it's it's gathered quite a number of fans, and, and part of that is because it's endured for so long, for forty years. So I thought what would be nice to do for uh, kind of to commemorate this fortieth anniversary of Star Trek is. On this week's podcast, I am going to try to look briefly at every uh, series of Star Trek and every movie that's come out, kind of in chronological order, kind of a history, a little bit of Star Trek, try to throw in a few things that may be a little uh, lesser known uh, items, but but just kind of, you know, tribute the show by, by looking back at, at the whole history of it. So we're going to attempt to do that today. I want to first say uh, I had a lot of fun doing last week's podcast, which was the one-year anniversary show of Treks and Sci-Fi. Had some people watching the webcam as I recorded and realizing that I, I drink uh, a lot of Gatorade as I uh, record these shows. Yeah, as I as I talk for the whole hour, I get a little thirsty, and you know they got to see a little bit about my recording setup and, and how I edit and record the show. So I hope the people that had a chance to tune into the live webcam as I recorded last week's show enjoyed that. I'm going to try to do that uh, a few times periodically, maybe say about once a month or so. It's a little more yeah, it's a little more involved to, to set all that up. So I don't want to do it every week, uh, but I will do it once in a while and I will let people know. Uh, I'll try to let you know a week before if I'm planning on doing one. I would say the next time I might do that would be in a few weeks towards the end of September. So you know, keep an eye on the website and the forums for uh, details on the next time I'm going to go live, uh, live from Michigan with with the podcast. One thing I wanted to mention, I, I've posted this on the the page main page uh, of my website treksf.com or treksinsci-fi.com. Both of those work, of course, as always. There's a video tribute to Star Trek that was on YouTube. 
that I, uh, I think, believe somebody on the forums pointed out to me, and I have posted, uh, embedded that on the main website. This is a really wonderful, uh, I think it's about seven minutes or so long, tribute to, to all the various Star Trek series and movies, kind of, again, also in in chronological order. Not so much chronological order of when the series came out, but in chronological order of Star Trek history is the way he tried to do this. It was done by a guy named Chris Christopher Roberts. And, Chris, I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but I, I sent you an email, and he actually wrote me back a little bit, told me a little of how he did it and some other details. Looks like it's he spent a, a real long time working on this this piece with some really nice soft music in the background from uh, the episode The Inner Light with uh, Picard when, you know, the kind of flute-type music that he played in that episode. It's it's a great, great tribute to Trek. It's very professional. I really urge anyone to, uh, if you get a chance, go to the website, and there will be a link there. You'll be able to see uh, see this video. I, I think if you, uh, if you do a search on YouTube, if you do Star Trek 40th or something like, you know, Star Trek 4.0, it'll probably pop up. I think his username on YouTube was something like Enterprise NX01 or something close to that. So find that uh, video and check it out because I think it's it's really wonderful. He, he did a he did a fantastic job on it. I'm very impressed, and it's obviously it took him a lot of time and effort to put that out. So uh, congrats on that, Chris. The other thing that uh, I wanted to point out is there's a little more information floating around uh, about this enhanced new Star Trek uh, or enhanced original series episodes they're going to start playing here only, well, in about a week, by next weekend. I have found, my TiVo actually found in the Detroit area, the first episode, which is going to be Balance of Terror, is the episode they're enhancing and that will be first broadcast. It's showing at a very odd time, like late Saturday night next week, early Saturday or Sunday morning, like 2 a.m. or something on, on ABC. It Look, you know, check your local listings, check the internet, and look for uh, Star Trek Balance of Terror is the episode you're looking for, and it's a syndicated uh, episode, so channels that normally show Star Trek in your area might have it, or even channels that maybe don't necessarily, ABC at least in this area where I live, don't doesn't really show reruns regularly of Trek, so I was a little surprised, but I'm pretty sure this is the, the enhanced uh, new episode uh, that they've done. So check your local listing so you don't miss it. It'll probably pop up on the internet and BitTorrents and things right after, but I always try to uh, find them on broadcast if I get a chance. It's a little easier that way, so keep an eye out for that. I've got a few uh, audio clips that I'm going to play from uh, listeners to the show, and I wanted to make a comment and mention. In the in the past on the, this podcast, I've tried to read uh, emails you know, that people have sent in and respond to those on the air, and I want to say that I am probably going to start shying away from doing that for a couple of reasons. One, I normally email the person back almost always, so that takes care of that usually for them. Unless it's a very, you know, kind of breaking piece of news or something I think a lot of people will be interested in, I'm going to kind of shy away from reading more emails on the air. Like I said, unless I think it's really something important or vital uh, then I will probably not be doing as many emails, but I will definitely be playing voicemails, the audio clips people send in. Those will definitely usually make it on the show, almost always. Maybe not on the very next show, but I will play them uh, within the next couple after I receive the clips. And those, of course, you can send an audio MP3 file to treksf at gmail.com, 
or just call the voicemail line at 206-88-TREKS, and those will get on the show. So just a little different change of, of formatting a bit, but I, I'm, I'm using this also to encourage, I'm hoping people will send in more audio comments and clips, and so I can include those on the show, trying to mix things up a little bit rather than just my voice uh, each week talking to everyone. And uh, for an example of that, I've got a comment here by a guy named Brian who has some comments on the 40th anniversary of Star Trek. So I'm going to play that for you now. Hello, Rico. This is Brian in Orange County. I've just recently discovered your program and find it fascinating. Just now getting into the great geekdom that is the 40th anniversary, I can't wait. I'm just old enough to remember the first broadcasts of the end of the third season of Star Trek and have decided an interesting uh, project is to watch each episode on exactly its 40th anniversary. So that means this coming Friday I'll be watching Man Trap and then uh, one episode every Friday for the, uh, for the first 20-something episodes of the first season. I thought you might be interested in trying this out yourself or one of your listeners might as well. I'll keep listening. Bye. Well, thanks a lot for that great comment, uh, Brian, and, and great idea. I actually, uh, TV Land... Last Friday, broadcast the Man Trap, uh, the first episode that was shown back in 1966, and I did watch that. I watched a couple other ones on Friday, so yeah, I'm going to try to do that. Uh, it's uh, it's a neat thing to uh, to kind of watch these episodes again in the order that they were originally aired, and, and see uh, see how's the you know how the you know kind of characters start to develop and the stories uh, develop over the over the season. One thing I wanted to say also is I tried last Friday, I tried to, I used my little webcam and, and was playing a DVD of Star Trek on one of my computers and had the webcam kind of pointed at it and had the audio piped in. It, it didn't work too badly. I might try that uh, in the future, but don't tell Paramount about that because that's I'm probably breaking a lot of broadcast laws doing that. It was more of a, uh, a technical test. I thought it'd be kind of fun to try. So yeah, if anybody else there is, is interested or has the DVDs uh, and is watching uh, as the you know episodes come up each week in, in their air dates, uh, let me know how that's going for you. I've got one other uh, listener audio comment that I want to play here. This is from also another Brian. This is from Brian who is on a member of the forums. And his uh, audio clip, it, it you know, talks about his experiences about Star Trek and things. His is a, a bit longer. It's about three minutes. So after that, uh, when I get back, I will be getting into the discussion on the, the whole history of Trek. So listen to Brian's comments, and then I'll be right back. Hey, Rico. It's Brian calling from the forums. I just saw your post regarding the 40th anniversary Trek tribute show, so I wanted to call in and uh, leave a couple thoughts. I tried to make a, an MP3 file, but I failed miserably on my iMac. You have to tell me how to do that someday. Anyway, you know, Star Trek for me began 1974, 1975. I was six years old. I think it was the first show that I ever sat down to watch with my father. It was the first adult program I think I ever really watched with any interest. And it just meant so much to me, not only the time I spent with my dad, but to be able to watch a show that grown-ups enjoyed. And uh, I was just obviously enthralled by the adventures of these people traveling around in space and... Uh, the effects and the aliens, it was all very exciting. Um, I have to say that one of the first things that I noticed about the characters of Star Trek at that young age were was their honesty, their nobility, their bravery. And that's actually where I think I developed a, a good sense of those admirable traits in humanity from those early shows of uh, TOS. 
as I got older and became a teenager, I began to appreciate the shows more for their content and the stories that they told, especially as they sort of applied uh, uh, Gene Roddenberry's vision for Star Trek is one of such, such promise and hope for humanity. And I really began to see the underlying, underlying nuances of what he was trying to convey using the, 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 the show as a vehicle for that kind of a message. And uh, I went to early conventions in the late 70s, early 80s in New York City. Uh, I lived in Connecticut. Uh, we were pretty close to New York. So got a chance to see some of the early Trek fans. And uh, it was a big part of my, of, of my childhood, of, of my life. You know, as I got older, when, I was, when Next Generation came out, I was in college. And, you know, when you're in college, you get distracted by other less healthy and puerile uh, desires. But uh, after, after college, you know, I circled back and realized that The Next Generation really was a great show, and I sort of missed a lot of it. So I finally got a chance to really catch up when the DVDs came out and realized that there was a pro the, the, the Next Generation really took Gene Roddenberry's vision and took it to a whole new level. And although the original series will always have a very special place and be my favorite, I do acknowledge that The Next Generation is probably the, the finest program of Star Trek that was ever created, uh, just from the acting and from the stories and everything they did, and they had seven seasons to do it in. But anyway, so, you know, really, Trek will always be so special to me for a lot of reasons. Uh, and, you know, it's funny, I, I sometimes think about Star Wars versus Star Trek in my head. Every time I, I see A New Hope, I feel like I'm that seven-year seven-year-old kid watching in a movie theater, and I get transported back. When I watch Star Trek, I feel like an adult, and I feel like I'm engaged in a totally different way. It's not as nostalgic, and it's not as, as a, a warm, fuzzy memory of childhood. It's more of an adult feel. It's more of a show where that makes me think, that makes me appreciate who we are as, as, a, as a race, and that you know, anything is possible. And I just hope that Star Trek finds a future home where we can continue to get new programming and where these ideals can continue to be put forth to a new audience and uh, allow a, next, a new generation to boldly go where no man has gone before. So anyway, that's it. I love your podcast. You're doing a great job, buddy. Take care. Bye. Thanks very much, Brian. Those are uh, some great comments and, and it's interesting, we've talked a few times uh, on the forums, but I have a very similar uh, experience and thoughts and comments on the original series and the values that it, uh, I think it helped me uh, shape when I was younger also. Actually, I wrote a a little kind of short essay on, on my life and early experiences with Star Trek that uh, Christabel on the forums, she's writing this blog for the Planet Expo TrekCon that I uh, she is including a lot of different people's stories, some of the actors' stories on this blog, and she was nice enough to include mine. And just I was I was noticing as I was listening to your uh, phone call that a lot of what you had to say, you know, gathering values and, and things from you know the original series and some of the characters and how they acted with each other. I I really feel pretty much the same way when I watched the original series. It was a uh, a time in my life where I needed some role models, and they were there, and I think uh, really made me a better better person overall. So thanks uh, for those great comments, Brian. And at this point, let's get on with the anniversary of Star Trek in the whole timeline tribute. Now, I'm going to have to go pretty quickly in order to get this in in the next half hour or so, so kind of bear with me. 
Now, of course, the first uh, first of the series that we have to look at is the original Star Trek. This premiered, of course, in 1966, lasted for three seasons, 79 episodes, and is, you know, I'd say in general has been considered the, the, the cornerstone, the classic Trek of all the series, uh, even though, as Brian said in his uh, voicemail, that, you know, the next generation is, is arguably maybe a little superior of a show, I think the original series probably has the greatest number of fans. Well, part of that's because it was the first. It's been on the longest. And you have you have such very iconic characters, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, played by, you know, Leonard Nimoy, William Shatner, and DeForest Kelly. They just, you know, did an amazing job with the characters. The stories were interesting. They were, you know, Gene Roddenberry's idea was to take, you know, issues of the day and turn them into sort of a science fiction show and try to make an impact on the world and hopefully create a, a future uh, of, uh, of a better place for people to live. I thought it might be kind of fun. Each of the series that I'm going to talk about, I'm going to play a little, uh, probably their theme music, I think, to just kind of set off the mood for them. What I found uh, on the Internet, love the Internet, just it's so easy and great to have for doing this podcast, I found a Japanese intro of the original Star Trek series. This, obviously, the words are, that Shatner would say uh, about, you know, boldly going where no man has gone before are being said in Japanese. I thought this would be kind of fun to play for everyone. So listen to the Japanese theme opening to the original Star Trek series now. Uchu. それは人類に残された最後の開拓地であるそこには人類の創造を絶する新しい文明新しい生命が待ち受けているに違いないこれは人類最初の試みとして五年間の調査飛行に飛び立った宇宙船USSエンタープライズ号の脅威に満ちた
and people started to discover the show, like myself, who had never seen it in its original run, were either too young or had missed it when it was first on the air. Then you had a, another Star Trek series start, but this time it was starting on Saturday mornings. This, of course, was the Star Trek animated series. This began in 1973 and lasted for only two seasons, but they did uh, a pretty good job with capturing a lot of what the original series was all about. They kept all the actors that were on the original series to do the voices. The stories were, a lot of them were written by uh, writers that had worked on the original series, and since this was only about four years after the original series was on the air, I think there, you know, some people think of it, these two seasons of Star Trek uh, that were on Saturday mornings as kind of like the the fourth and fifth years of the Star Trek five-year or the Enterprise's five-year mission. And they did some great things here. It's great, finally, Paramount has finally decided to release this on DVD. It's this is a, it's a set thing right now. It's coming out uh, towards the end of November. It's going to be all one big package, both seasons, all the episodes in, in there. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see again, especially since this has really been hard for most people to see. It's been occasionally rerun on cable, uh, but not for a while, at least nothing that I've seen in a while. And it's going to be great to see this, uh, this great uh, series again. Now, moving on, uh, you know, the, the animated series just lasted for uh, a quick 22 episodes in total, and it was gone, and that was in 1974. Then, of course, you had the big phenomenon of Star Wars hit in 1977, and I have to mention that, like I have said before, when I looked at Star Trek The Motion Picture, it was probably what really pushed Paramount to decide to do a motion picture. They were, at one point, thinking of doing another TV series, which, again, I've talked about uh, a few podcasts back, but they decided to go ahead with a movie. So you had, in December of 1979, Star Trek The Motion Picture premiered to really um, not very good reviews, critically, but the fans just turned out in in great numbers to see it. And, of course, uh, I was there, and... It was it was really just great to see the main characters back up on the screen. So this started the whole movie franchise for Star Trek, which has gone on now for, for a total of 10, 10 movies. And you had um, lots of ups and downs in there, but you had the original crew back on the big screen, some neat new special effects, and, and just uh, just a fun thing to see. Well, then uh, a, few, uh, a couple years passed, and it was... Yeah, they were they were deciding what to do with Star Trek again, as they usually did in these lulls between things. And you, they brought in a new um, uh, kind of producer, you know, head of the of the movie area, and that was Harv Bennett. He really wanted to create a little more nautical kind of uh, feeling, and it, he wasn't really much of a Star Trek fan. He was a TV producer guy. But he screened a lot of the Star Trek episodes, and he decided to do sort of a follow-up episode on the episode Space Seed with Khan, because he thought they, a movie really needed a strong villain to go up against Kirk. And that's the, the sort of genesis of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which actually is really called, uh, the, the real title of the movie is Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, even though, of course, it is the second, second uh, Star Trek film. This came out in 1982, again starring the original cast, and is definitely widely considered to be the best of the Star Trek films. Really, the the script is tight. It was directed by Nicholas Meyer. 
he does a great job with with the story, the characters, the the overall look of this is is really improved upon after the sort of you know kind of you know, I, I guess the the motion picture, the uniforms, and the look of the Enterprise just didn't quite feel right. This uh, in Star Trek Two, at least in my opinion, and I think a lot of fans. I think they really got the the look and feel of of Star Trek, and f- at least for the movie screen, the best uh, the best of uh, the way it should look. Uh, I mean, part of that I think comes down to just the, the colors that they used in the in the both the sh- the sets and the uniforms. You know, there's kind of a monotone look of color of whites and grays and light colors of the motion picture, but in in Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan, you have the nice bright red uniforms. Uh, a lot of interesting use of color and design on the sets. Uh, it, it, you really get the feel that this is a real a ship that they're on, and it, it just really all comes together in, in a great way for this for this second movie, for the second Star Trek movie. And the storyline, the storyline story is great. You've got Khan coming back. I've done a podcast on this movie before, so I'm not going to talk too long about it. We got to move on, but uh, I think they did they did a great job. Now, again, a couple of years go by, actually not quite as long this time between the motion picture happened and the Wrath of Khan, and you have a follow-up. You know, Spock, of course, dies at the end of Wrath of Khan. Uh, spoiler, spoiler alert there for people. Uh, I doubt anyone that's a surprise to the, at least those listening to the podcast. Well, in 1984, you have another movie come along, this one directed by Leonard Nimoy. This one was, of course, called Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. I haven't done a podcast on this movie which i need to do sometimes because i think it's a it's a very good follow-up to star trek uh the wrath of khan film you know you have all the events that happened in that movie affect the crew greatly of course the death of spock being the biggest of those things that happened the enterprise is in bad shape Uh, kirk steals the enterprise trying to find spock his his long lost friend on the genesis planet which has been sort of quarantined Again, the, the cast really comes together, and, and this starts a sort of a little bit of a trend in the movies where they really start to give some of the other uh, crew people, you know, George Takei, James Doohan, and, and, you know, the characters, Scotty, Sulu, McCoy, they give them a little bit more. It's not just a Kirk Spock show in the in the film. And I think that's what really makes this film and the next one, Star Trek for The Voyage Home, some great movies. They, they really involve everyone. This again premiered or came out at the theaters in 1984. Didn't do nearly as as well, I think, and maybe not nearly as liked as the second film. But they got Spock back by the end of it, and that was a good thing. Then again, the same uh, same pattern a little. A couple of years again go by, and you have the next film come out in the movie series. This was Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home. This movie, I think, one of its benefits, this came out in 1986. One of the things about Star Trek IV The Voyage Home is I think this is the film that Star Trek fans and non-Star Trek fans enjoy the most. It's got a lot of humor. It's not really a heavy technical, you know, film of, you know, we need to take the power converters and invert them and hook them into the warp engines and all that. There's, you know, they don't have all that techno babble and weird aliens so much. This is... This is the fish-out-of-water story. You know, you've got the crew coming back to Earth in time. They're in San Francisco. They, they don't understand what's going on. The customs there, and you've got a lot of interesting things. It's very reminiscent of, of things that happened in the original series when they were on, you know, Earth in, in 
in the past and, and didn't understand what you know how to act and in the the way they look and everything it's it just sets itself up it's it's a perfect uh, uh sort of item or macguffin they call it a, a a jumping off point for a movie to do this and this again was directed by leonard nimoy who did a uh, a really good job was was credited partly for the stories and this is kind of an environmental tale about you know save the whales save the environment they could be important to the future and I think that's uh you know that's another one of those classic Star Trek things you know to to take some you know current I- issues we're destroying the rainforest killing animals and species every day and in in the future in a few hundred years this might be might kind of come back to bite us and and be a problem so Star Trek Four the Voyage Home the next film in the series. Well, now that uh, we've gone through some of the early uh, Star Trek movies in the series, you get to a point in time in the late 80s where Paramount decides they're going to do another Star Trek uh, live-action TV series. This, of course, turns out to be eventually called Star Trek The Next Generation with with Gene Roddenberry at the helm in charge again, who sets out uh, a huge casting call to create his, his new crew of this future enterprise set about 75 years give or take in the future after the era of kirk and spock a very good move by his part you get to see improved technology but you get to still see a familiar setup of the enterprise ship with a redesign a new crew starfleet's advanced some things there are now klingons in starfleet lots of good elements and i am going to um, now play uh, some music of course the opening uh, theme to The Next Generation. To boldly go where no one has gone before. So there's the theme to The Next Generation. It premiered in uh, September of 1987, lasted for seven seasons uh, until May of 1994. I can still remember having some friends over, some of my Star Trek buddies, to watch the premiere episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. And, you know, we had some misgivings. Obviously, we were huge fans of the original series, and the little bits that were released about what was coming for the next generation were kind of, you know, that it looks like Roddenberry may be not really be able to do this kind of thing again. I mean, you had the, the characters were, were sounding kind of odd. You had this Frenchman, Jean-Luc Picard, in command of the Enterprise, this older, bald, uh, you know, English actor. You've got a character called Data, an android, who's sort of the Spock character again. 
uh, a Klingon on the bridge. Uh, just and then you know the the captain doesn't go on away missions, but like Brian early on said in the, in this podcast, his comments on how this series went on to be one of the best, perhaps the best of the Star Trek series in terms of acting and maybe the look and just the, the, the whole combined effort of, of seven years of this excellent show, it, it, it quickly became a favorite of mine and never missed it. So it's, it's definitely a worthy successor to the original series. Lasted for a total of 178 episodes, again over seven years in time, and I think is probably now it rivals the, the original series as far as the, the series that people like the most. They're definitely younger fans these days that grew up on The Next Generation, I think, that enjoy that series more than the original series. Now, you know, they didn't, I think a lot of it has to do with what series you grow up with. You know, that what you watch when you're young, especially your you know, 10, 11, 12 years old into your teen years really sets the pattern, I think, a lot of, of what you're going to like in the future, what's going to be some of the favorites you're going to look back on. And I think that's important. I know there are some guys on the, uh, some people on the forums that are, are younger than myself and started uh, what really getting into Star Trek with the next generation. And that, that turns out, of course, to be their favorite. And it's it's a great show. They have some wonderful episodes. They did, they you know, they had a chance to really dig into a lot of the characters where the original series never really had a chance to do that so well. So again, Next Generation, uh, definitely a, a worthy follow-up, and is is now available, of course, on DVD and, and not as expensive as it used to be. So if you if you miss some of these, pick up the DVDs. They're, uh, although I think people are a little shying away from that now with all this talk of enhanced original series episodes. They're thinking, oh, maybe they'll eventually enhance the next generation but i i don't know if that's if that's going to happen or ever going to happen i i think the effects and things they did in those shows will hold up for quite a while so if if they do ever change those episodes i think we're talking a long way a long time from now so let's move along uh the next uh, in in if we're going in chronological order the next star trek thing that happened was the next film in the film series that was star trek 5 the final frontier this came out in the summer of 1989. This is the, of course, the only Star Trek film directed by the the man William Shatner, the Kirk. He's uh, he gets uh, directing credit. Uh, he also was involved in writing the story. And this this story, of course, is the thing about uh, you know meeting God, where at least somebody or some alien thing that that tells everyone he's God. And of course, that's uh, you know, Kirk and and Spock and company have never, they've never really gotten along real well with omnipotent beings who tried to rule over them or or a, a particular planet or culture. And you know, people have always kind of said that Gene Roddenberry was a little bit anti anti religion a little to some degree, and I think that is a you know, maybe not completely an unfair statement. I think he was he was not really in favor of. You know some of the organized religions and some of the things that they have uh, they have done over the years. I'm not going to get into a whole religious discussion. That's not what this podcast is all about. But since this movie involves that to to a tiny degree, I think it was just kind of worth mentioning that maybe that's a little bit of of where it comes from. Now, Star Trek Five: The The Final Frontier has has always taken a lot of jokes. Is has always been kind of 
you know, thought of as maybe the the weakest of any of the Star Trek movies, but there's still some great elements in this in this film. I love the campfire scenes. I love the scene at the beginning where Kirk's, you know, climbing the mountain and, and off on a little shore leave, and he's still trying to take these risks because he's sort of become earthbound and he doesn't get it. He doesn't really get out and get to do what he used to do and, and get in harm's way every week. And there's a lot of nice stuff in this movie. The overall story, eh? I I, I think uh, I think the idea that there was 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 pretty good and pretty well done. The, the character of Cybok was kind of, eh, I never, it was kind of hard for me to believe that if Spock had this half-brother that they sort of, you know, pull this out now in this movie years later, uh, that he was never mentioned. Uh, I, it, when movies and TV shows do that, you know, as they go on, that all of a sudden, hey, look, it's it's uh, such and such his brother or sister that we've never heard of just to do an episode or a movie. That's kind of a little bit of a weak attempt sometimes, I, I think, when they do those kind of things. But anyway, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, uh, the next film and the next item in the Star Trek chronology of the whole 40-year saga. Now, the uh, the great thing that was going on at this time is you had just a lot of Star Trek. You had original series reruns, you had the next generation on the air, and you had the original crew coming out in movies every few, excuse me, every few years, so... For a Star Trek fan like myself and for other fans, th- this was sort of a golden age of Star Trek. I mean, there was there was more Star Trek around at this time than there ever, ever had been before and maybe even in the future, although they, they did have overlapping TV series, which we'll get into in a few minutes here, which was still continuing the sort of golden time. So there were a lot of conventions. Yeah, Star Trek was everywhere. And this uh, it will bring us to the next thing in the, the Star Trek chronology that uh, I'm trying to fly through <laughs> in an hour podcast. The next item, of, of course, is the next film, because Star Trek uh, The Next Generation is still on the air. We're at 1991 in the sort of holiday time, which was the, you know, most of the movies came out either in the holiday season or during the summer. Those are the big movie releases. This one was during the holiday season early December of 1991. Now you have Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. This movie was again directed by Nicholas Meyer, who they pulled back in, who had done such a great job on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. I think after the Star Trek V movie, which was kind of weak, they decided to go back kind of a little bit more towards the Star Trek uh, II sort of feel, uh, a very nautical kind of movie. Uh, Kirk has been kind of pulled out of semi-retirement or near retirement to to sort of go on this diplomatic mission with the Klingons. He, of course, is not a big fan of the Klingons with what they did to his son. And you have, uh, th- this is a, uh, a sort of a writing storyline based on, the, you know, the, the two superpowers. It's, a, it's an analogy between the Federation and the Klingons and the United States and uh, the Soviet Union of Russia. The, uh, the you know, two superpowers that have been enemies for for so long that that realize that 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 just can't be that way anymore that they need to become friends they need to to work together in the future of course this was predicted by the organians uh way back in the early first season of the original series that in the future the klingons and you know the federation would work together they would become friends and allies and this this is a great thing because this is what you know, Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future has always been all about that in the future that things, wars won't really happen, or at least we will try to avoid them, and we will try to work together with not just with ourselves, with our own 
species in our own planet, but with other species and other aliens and planets that we go out and meet and, and find. So this this is an important point, and that's what this movie's all about. Now, Star Trek VI was the final really full cast film for the original crew, for Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty, Doc, you know, and, and so forth. I'm not going to go through all, but you guys know who I'm talking about. So this was the, the swan song, and they did a great job with this movie. This movie was was well done. Nicholas Meyer did did a solid job directing it, and and I feel it's 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 a fitting tribute and end to the the original crew's uh, time in the film series. Again, that was in 1991. the The next uh, thing that happens 1994, the spring of 1994, uh, the Next Generation airs its final episode, which uh, all good things. Uh, Probably for all the TV, all the Star Trek that I've ever seen, probably the best final episode I think that I have ever seen done. I just can't think of a better way, a better ending to to a series than what they did with the last episode. Even that very last scene of the Next Generation with with the poker scene and Picard joins them, and it, it just—I I have to admit—it kind of brings a tear to my eye when, even when I see that episode now. So. There we go, with the next generation now off the air after seven great seasons. But not all is lost for the next generation crew. They move into the movie scene. And you immediately, almost immediately at least, have the first uh, next generation movie come out in the holiday season of 1994. So this is just a very short Oh, approximately six months after The Next Generation goes off the air, you have a big screen version with that crew. This movie, of course, was Star Trek Generations. And it was definitely a... a yeah, they, they tried to bridge the original series crew with the Next Generation crew. You know, you have the Nexus thing going on, and you have Kirk uh, hooking up with Picard very in a very interesting and uh, well-done way. Now... The, the bad part about this episode, or not, so, excuse me, this movie, was was the fact that they killed off Kirk. And you can go back and forth and, and talk about that forever and ever, but it really comes down to they weren't really going to use him in other TV shows or movies, so they wanted to kind of have Kirk go out, you know, Kirk go out fighting in a way. Now, there are a lot of ways, that, different ways he could have gone out. Falling down that little bridge thing and all that junk was kind of, eh, you know, eh, kind of a little bit lame maybe. But uh, you have, a, I think, a pretty pretty well done movie. And they, they had the benefit of going into this movie right after the next generation had gone off the air. So the the cast was still into their roles. It, it, was, it was a very easy transition, I guess. This movie was directed by David Carson. Uh, the writing credits on it, Rick Berman, who worked on Next Generation, Gene Roddenberry, and so forth. They did a, a pretty solid job. And this movie, I think, uh, while most of the Next Generation fans thought it could have been better, I think they it was, it was good enough to get the Next Generation crew into the movie scene. And I am just looking over my notes here, and I just realized I have made a error, a boo-boo, and I will correct that right now. I was trying to go directly in chronological order. What should have really happened after the, the Star Trek VI Undiscovered Country movie, the next thing that really happened in Star Trek history prior to the end of The Next Generation and the Generations movie was, of course, 
the premiere of Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which premiered in January of 1993. This lasted again for seven seasons, lasted until until June of 1999. This was the the series that was supposed to be a little darker, a little edgier than uh, what had gone on in Star Trek before. The characters weren't all that uh, you know perfect. They didn't get along great with each other. It was set on a space station, not on a starship, and and quite a bit different. They put a uh, African American in in command of the station. Ben Sisko, played by the the great Avery Brooks, did a wonderful job with that. And uh, oh, I've got uh, some music, Deep Space Nine intro music to play, so I will play that for you now. I'll talk uh, a little bit over the theme music here to kind of move us along. Now, Deep Space Nine had a, had a lot of great stories. They probably had the most interesting group of characters of any of maybe the Star Trek series, especially in terms of their development over the, the seven whole years that they were on the air. You had the character of Odo, who was trying to find his 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 you know his 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 people. He was always trying to. To figure out where he was from, uh, Kira, the the very military second in command of Deep Space Nine, starts out very as a very harsh type person, very uh, strong. She still ends up strong in the end, but she changes over the course of the series quite a bit. And one of the things that was very nice about this series was they had the character of uh, Avery Brooks's character, Cisco, had a son, Jake, and and you got to see something there on Star Trek that you'd never seen before and that was a, a family type relationship you did have, have that with next generation a little bit with o'brien and keiko and their daughter uh, molly but in in deep space nine you got to see that you know o'brien and keiko continue along with uh cisco's the the cisco the father-son relationship which i think they did a, did a great job of that and you had a guy here who was in command of deep space nine trying to raise a son at the same time then they bring in Worf, and they have the character of Dax and Quark, and and everyone, and and a, and a very rich, uh, you know, tapestry of secondary characters: Garrick and, and Gul Dukat, and and everyone, and, and the Kai's down on on Bajor, and and everything. And you know, Deep Space Nine is is probably one of the, I guess, I don't know how to say it exactly. The that may be the most rich uh, and cultured development, or, or at least the way they showed the the people on Bajor and other other races and other planets and things that they ran into, the most developed of all the Star Trek series. They really dug in, and and I guess there's a lot of meat on it. Is 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 the way I'd put it. I mean, there's there's just a very rich uh, amount of material in Deep Space Nine. It wasn't just another episode. Okay, 
here's an alien ship, what do we do about it? They're, they're shooting at us kind of uh, thing each week. They really had a lot of great character episodes, things that really uh, made you care about the people on board Deep Space Nine. And I think, uh, I think that's one of the things that's going to make it really endure and gather more fans as years go on just to see how, how well this show did. They also did something in, in Deep Space Nine that they hadn't really ever done. This is the last uh, about three seasons or so of the show was they, they created a war. They they had a full out really war going on during uh you know this this series that went on it didn't just get solved all neat and, and tidy in an episode or two that this went on and it had repercussions for for a lot of the characters on the show and I think that was an interesting thing you know Gene Roddenberry was never really you know he was very anti uh, you know he was a pacifist I mean he did not like war he didn't think that it was the right way to solve problems. And, and it's also one of the things I really respect about him, his attitudes about that and his feelings are, are kind of reflect the way I think. You know, I just don't see in the year 2006 why you have to shoot each other to solve your problems. I, I Sorry, I said it there. It's out there. Uh, if anyone wants to disagree with me, feel free to write in. <laughs> Again, uh, I talked a little bit about religion earlier. Now I've hit politics. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to get the email. But uh, it's just... Uh, but they had uh, they decided they needed to do that. They needed to have Star Trek deal with that situation. But a couple things about that. One, what they do with that in this uh, in Deep Space Nine is they have alliances start to form. The Klingons become more helpful. They eventually ally with the Cardassians against this this greater threat. Kind of like the enemy of my enemy is now my friend. I mean they. They don't just have the classic tale of, hey, well, I don't like you, you don't look like me, we're going to blow you up or shoot you with phasers or whatever. There's more to it than that. And that's what makes Star Trek and Deep Space Nine a great uh, a great thing. So let's, uh, let's move along because I'm rambling a bit and I want to get through this and i got a bit more to go. So next, sorry about the little technical or the timeline uh, change there, but we'll get back on track now. Okay, well, this will get us up to the next uh, film in the Star Trek film series. You have Deep Space Nine on the air. It's 1996, the summer of 1996, and you have the next movie come out uh, comes out, which is called Star Trek First Contact. This, of course, is with the full-on Next Generation crew, Picard, Riker, Troy, you know, Dr. Crusher, Data, Worf, and so forth. And this is a full-out uh, story of both some time travel and the Borg. Uh, It's a a tale of war. It's a tale of the early days of the Federation. Uh, A script, again, with uh, involving Gene Roddenberry, Rick Berman, directed by Jonathan Frakes. Yes, number one, Commander Riker directed this movie. And for me, at least, Star Trek First Contact is is the best and the the tightest and and the strongest of all the uh, films in the Next Generation chain of star trek movies i I really really enjoyed this movie so i saw it several times when it was in the theater it's it's a very solid movie i don't think you have to be even a huge star trek fan to to enjoy this film it's it's very well done really a good story and they, they do a great job with it so that's the next film in the film series Next up, we have the next film uh, coming out. This is it towards uh, the end of the Deep Space Nine run. This film comes out in 1998, and it was called, or is called, Star Trek Insurrection. A grin, uh, excuse me, again, a similar writing credits. This one, again, also was directed by Jonathan Frakes. 
This is probably, for me at least, the weakest of the the Star Trek films that I've seen, I think. It's just, it, there were some interesting elements in here, but I don't think it was really, you know, one of the best. It, uh, you know, there was some, some good stuff, but it just, I think it was, it didn't quite have the grandest of stories, which they've always tried to do something kind of large and grand and, and epic in the movie series. And I think they purposely tried to do something a little less epic for, for this film. And that that's, it's good that they tried that, but I, I think they, they needed some other little things in there to, to make it a little more interesting. So Star Trek Insurrection, 1998. And I must apologize. I think my brain is, is half uh, not here this morning, this Sunday morning. I'm also a little out of chronological order once more. What's difficult when you put this with Star Trek all together is the overlaps. They started to have a lot of overlap of of the TV series and movies and everything, and it was it's a little much to keep track of. I, I of course have have overlooked, skipped ahead just a tiny bit, and neglected to say that the the next uh, of the TV series that premiered towards the end of the the seasons or the Deep Space Nine run was of course the next series, Star Trek Voyager. This first premiered in January of 1995. It also lasted seven seasons, which they were getting into a little bit of a magic number there. Next Generation, seven years. Deep Space Nine, seven years. And Voyager, seven years. This lasted until May of 2001. And I am going to play uh, the music for that show now. So I got a couple of movies in there that really were out uh, at the same time that Deep Space Nine was running and Voyager was on the air, you had uh, First Contact and the Insurrection movies were in that same time frame. So sorry about that again, folks. But I will play the music for Voyager, the opening music for that now. had a chance to talk about Star Trek Voyager much in this uh, podcast, but I did actually just pick up last week uh, the first season of Star Trek Voyager, which I am going to cover that uh, the first pilot episode sometime in the upcoming podcasts. This uh, this series, again, they, they broke some ground here. They put a woman in command of a starship, the, the Voyager, USS Voyager, played by uh, Kate Mulgrew as Captain Catherine Janeway. Now, I know some people have a little bit of a problem with her and, and the way she commanded the, the ship and, and, and all that, but I thought that it was it was okay. I, I really uh, I really thought that it was a, it was a pretty good job that she did. And the, the overall, again, the, the crew of the Voyager lost in the, in the, out in the Delta Quadrant set a uh, kind of an interesting situation up for Star Trek. You never really had that. Here you had a, a crew way out on their own, didn't have Starfleet to depend on, and started to head home and figure out ways that they could get back home and and, and get back to the Federation. Had some real interesting characters, Tom Paris, sort of a, a bad boy kind of guy, Chakotay, second in command, Kess to begin with, eventually then kind of replaced by Seven of Nine, the, the 
Borg, who they tried to, or they freed from the Borg control and brought her back to her, the human side, which those last few years of Voyager, I think that really benefited the show quite a bit. I think that gave them a lot of uh, stuff to do on, for interesting episodes of bringing the character of Seven of Nine in. And Voyager is is another to me. It's it, it's a good Star Trek series. I mean, I enjoyed a lot of the episodes. I think that some of them maybe not as good as as some of the other series that had come before. Maybe not as consistently solid uh, of a show. And I don't mean to be being like overly critical or anything like that. But it's it's got a lot of really good stuff in it. Uh, I think some people find that it's just a little bit weaker than the other Star Trek series, but. Hey, it lasted for seven years, like another 172 episodes on the Star Trek episode, uh, you know, number list or, or, or whatever you want to call it, total. And it's, uh, it must have done pretty well. It lasted until, uh, like I said, uh, 2001. So that's that series. Now let's get back to, uh, I think we got to get into the movies again now. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Not quite the last movie to talk about. We have one more series that comes uh, just a little bit before that. This, of course, is the last of the Star Trek series uh, live-action shows that have been on. This is Enterprise, which first started out being called Enterprise and then eventually was, was switched to Star Trek Enterprise. This premiered in September of 2001. Yes, just uh, a couple of weeks after, uh, unfortunately, 9-11. And I, I think that was, uh, well, it was unfortunate for, well, for a lot of reasons. You know, 9-11 was a terrible tragedy and terrible thing that happened in history now. But uh, it also uh, really, I think, impacted this, this show a little bit, at least when it was initially on the air. But you have, uh, this was the first, or the, the attempt by uh, the people at Star Trek and Paramount Rick Berman and everyone to to go back to do a prequel series to show uh, Starfleet in the very early days. This show was set approximately a hundred years before the era of Kirk and Spock and the Federation from the original series. You have an Enterprise here that's not quite as fast, doesn't quite have the weaponry, doesn't quite have the equipment, the transporter systems, all the doodads that they eventually have on the later Star Trek series. This this show unfortunately only lasted for four seasons. Never really was a real ratings um, champ for Paramount for UPN. Oh, I have to mention uh, one thing about the Star Trek Voyager series that was significant was that it started the the United Paramount Network, the UPN network for Paramount Television, which of course has now just ended this this past year and is joining forces. The UPN and the WB networks are now forming the CW network. So UPN lasted, uh, well, I guess really only as long as Voyager plus a couple of years, and now it's it's kind of gone UPN. But Star Trek uh, Enterprise was the next Star Trek series that showed on UPN. So that's, that's kind of an important point. The uh, interesting thing about the Enterprise TV show is the fact that they created a song for the opening theme. And that got some controversy, but I kind of like the song. And I'm going to play uh, that opening music slash theme song for you right now. Been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally near And I will see my dream come alive at last I will touch the sky And the night gonna hold me down no more 
So there you have the uh, opening theme music to Enterprise, Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, you know, this show was starred uh, Scott Bakula, who I always enjoyed in Quantum Leap. Uh, he had a lot of good characters again on this uh, this show. And for some reason, I you know, whether it was a combination of a lot of other sci-fi and television, movies that are out, uh, other entertainment keeping people from watching, the ratings just never never did very well for Enterprise. So it was cut short, only lasted four seasons. Again, this ended in uh, May of 2005, this this series, and I think it's unfortunate. The last, especially couple of years of, this, of the Enterprise series were as good as any other Star Trek that I've ever seen, and I urge people, if you miss this, this great uh, Star Trek series, its first go-round, I, I definitely urge you to try to catch it again. It's going to be, I've, I've said a couple times in the past, it's going to start showing, I believe it, yeah, it's on the Sci-Fi Channel starting towards the end of September. Not sure the days and times and nights uh, that it's going to be on the air, but check your local listings, your local TV listings, to find out if it's showing in your area and what time. Because I, I do believe this is a, a, a worthy you know, follow-up and, and heir to the Star Trek Legacy, another great Star Trek series to uh to watch and you know the cool thing about this is if you missed it and you're a star trek fan hey now you've got new star trek you can get a get a chance to check out so so definitely do that i've got uh one more movie to cover now the the last movie that was out was star trek nemesis now this came out uh, before the end of enterprise it was i believe yeah it was let me look here again real quick yeah, this uh, this movie came out in uh, 2002, Star Trek Nemesis, directed by Stuart Bard. It uh, premiered in the, uh, you know, this was another holiday movie, early uh, 2000, or sorry, early December. Now, now, this movie didn't do too well. One of the Lord of the Rings movies came out uh, right at that same time, so that could have been part of the problem. And I think Star Trek Nemesis, even though it's 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 a solid movie and enjoyable, and there's a lot of good elements in it. It, it has a little bit of a problem with its basic idea and storyline. I think it's just a little too much of uh, Wrath of Khan-like. I mean, you have a villain who knows uh, the his adversary, who knows Picard very well, because in this case he's he's partially uh, he's partially Picard anyway, right? He was like a clone or a partial clone, if I remember right. So he is uh, he knows Picard or knows the way he thinks supposedly, and they have a, some space battles and all and. Well, this was the last film uh, the, in the Star Trek film series from uh, that's been out in so far. This, of course, had the Next Generation crew involved. Data had a big role in this, was involved in the story. A guy named John Logan really wrote the story, but he's a, uh, a pretty big Star Trek fan, that guy. And this kind of ended the movie series, unfortunately. Did not do, do well. did not do well in the box office. And in the future, you know, in 2008 at least is the current time frame, only, you know, two years from now, is when the next Star Trek film is supposed to come out, which is, of course, being worked on by J.J. Abrams, which we've talked about several times on the podcast. But with this last film and the Enterprise television series ending just a year ago in 2005, we are now in kind of an era of a, a dry spell for Star Trek. You have some books... You have, of course, DVDs that you can watch from the old series, but that's about it. There's a Star Trek magazine around, and, of course, there's always going to be merchandising coming out. I'm not going to talk too much about it, although I am going to mention there's some pretty cool 40th anniversary merchandise that's that's coming out. There's a gold-handled phaser replica from the original series that's around. I'll try to put some links to some of the merchandising 
I'm not going to talk about anything real specific this week because this is kind of running a, a, little on, a little on the long side for the podcast, but lots of neat things out there. There's some new Hallmark ornaments for the for this uh, holiday season of Star Trek, and there's always good merchandising coming merchandise coming out uh, for for the shows, the action figures and replicas, prop replicas, models, and and so forth. So Star Trek is is far from gone or dead at all. And I think something that's been around for 40 years, I think it's going to take quite a bit to, to, to make that stop. And, and somebody even made the comments, and, and a few people made the comments, as long as it can still make some money for, uh, well, it's really owned, I guess, sort of like by CBS right now. But as long as it, it, can, it can still pull in some money for them, they will, uh, they will continue to produce it. I mean, I now even saw that, that Amazon.com is selling individual downloadable episodes from the original series at $1.99 each, kind of like the iTunes model. Not really sure why Amazon is doing that and not iTunes for Star Trek. Uh, it seems like it would be a, a much simpler fit to put it onto iTunes, especially they've already got the whole thing set up with iPods and video iPods to have episodes uh, of different TV shows you know, paid for and downloadable. But for, for now, Amazon seems to be doing that. I'm noticing that the DVD sets are coming down in price a little bit more. I know Next Generation and Deep Space Nine are are less than they were originally. They're more like in the $50 range. I believe Voyager is starting to slightly go down. I think I saw it on Amazon for in the $70, $75 range per season versus $100 where it was. So it's um, it's kind of a good time, I guess, to sort of catch your breath. You've We've had 40 years of great uh, Star Trek in, in both television, movies, books, and now we, we, we get a little chance to let people kind of recharge about it, think about it in a different way, bring in some new fans. And you've got the uh, the great thing that they're doing with the enhanced original series that's coming out. And, and we've I've mentioned before there, there are people that are really not liking this idea. I, on the other hand, think it's a great idea. I think it's a great way to bring in new fans. So that's going to be showing up here in a couple of weeks. So Star Trek is far from gone. Like I said, it's being shown somewhere in the world probably almost every minute of every day and it, it's something that's been able to endure both uh, over over the years and in terms of the stories that they've dealt with the different characters kind of continue to evolve to to where it is these days it's it's really i think a, a wonderful science fiction i guess concept property you know something that gene roddenberry created over 40 years ago still going on to this day and I think the, the the thing about it, you know, people talk about this new Battlestar Galactica and the Stargate shows, and they're, you know, these are really cool shows because they they show really what it's like. And it, I enjoy those shows, but Star Trek always has got that sort of hopeful optimism, and I really uh, really enjoy that part of it. I want to play one more little audio clip from Joby, who's on the forums. I did a little kind of, uh, I'm going to create a new feature that's going to feature on the next podcast, which is called Fan Focus. We did a little Skype interview kind of with him yesterday, last night, and I want to thank Joby for that. But he also had sent in an audio uh, clip and comments about the 40th anniversary of Star Trek. So I'm going to play that for you now, and then I'm going to come back and I'll wrap up this increasingly long uh, episode of of my podcast. So here's Joby's uh, audio comments now. Hi, Rico. This is Joby, Joby Drone, 4 of 20, on the Traction Sci-Fi Forums. So, Star Trek is 40 years old this month. It's pretty amazing when you think about it, how much it means when any form of entertainment so consistently means so much to so many people for so many years. 
What an accomplishment and what an achievement for the producers, writers, actors, and creators to be able to say that they have been such a large part of entertaining millions of people over the course of four decades. Something that any artist can only strive for, and it's the ultimate success for all of them to be able to say that. In a world where cynicism and violence are so prevalent in the mainstream media, and almost every vision of the future is bleak, dark, and depressing, Star Trek and all its reimaginings have always been the prime example of how escapist fiction does not have to follow that formula to be compelling and consistently entertaining. Even though there's no current quote-unquote new Star Trek on TV at the moment, its influence is so powerful that it is directly felt in much of the other popular sci-fi and production today, like the new Battlestar and the Stargate shows, for example. For me, the show is like one of my oldest and dearest friends. Perhaps you don't see them or talk to them every day, but they are always there when needed. Whenever you feel the desire to catch up, however long you've been away, you always feel like you just saw them and talked to them yesterday. And now, most of all, with the Trex and Sci-Fi community growing larger every week, the podcast and forums gives us all the perfect outlet to share in our obsession with scores of fans all over the world. So thank you, Rico, for your unending commitment to the podcast. It's a gift to everyone who feels the same about Star Trek and sci-fi as I do. Congrats to you on your one-year anniversary, and congrats to Star Trek on its big 40. I'll talk to you soon, Rico, and I will be listening to the podcast every time you put one out. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks very much for those comments, Joby. Very, very well said. I've been trying to get that across in this 40th uh, anniversary look at Trek just it's it's always been about the future always been about that we're we're capable of uh, having a uh, having a great and wonderful future and not uh, not having uh, the bleakness that sometimes is shown and you know that kind of science fiction has its place and is an enjoyable thing but if I had to pick a future and had to pick something that I'd like my kids to to be able to live in and maybe their children live in it would certainly be the Star Trek universe above all else uh, that's been shown for uh, science fiction over the years. It's it's really about that we can be better people, that we can get get along better, and we can overcome anything. And it's it's about hope and it's about the future like that that Gene Roddenberry created over 40 years ago. And I am going to get out of here and stop uh, being on my soapbox. So until next week, everyone... I am going to try to do a show this this Wednesday evening, maybe perhaps even Thursday evening, so look for that. But if I don't get a chance to do that, I will be back definitely next weekend with another podcast. Look on the website for information about what that's going to be about. It's probably likely it will be about the first pilot episode about Star Trek Voyager, but that's uh, that's a probably pretty good shot right now that it'll be that way so i hope you've enjoyed everyone look at uh, this look back at 40 years of great uh, tv movies all you know of course about star trek that uh, i enjoy so much and i hope everyone listening to the show does i appreciate uh, you hanging in there with me for a little longer podcast this week and i also always appreciate everyone who's listening to the show so again thank you everyone and i will talk to you again soon this is rico saying bye bye for now This has been a Rick Dusty production.
This podcast, copyright 2006, all rights reserved.